Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Yes, we're back with two in a row. Um, we were gone for a while. A lot of different things were happening, as I mentioned in the last in the last podcast. Didn't get into too much detail. Basically, life catches up with us every now and then. Had a lot of personal things going on at home. Work has been busy. You name it, it's happened, and it all piled up into not being able to put out a podcast just through the lack of time. We've done our best to try to get that time back together, make it a priority to do this, because I've had a lot of people reaching out to us saying, hey, we haven't heard from you. Is everything okay? Everything is fine. Just be assured of that. Um, We just needed to find the right amount of time. And I don't like rushing through this sort of stuff. I like to plan out if I'm going to have a guest on or something like that. I like to actually cover topics that are very, very important to people and that will help them in everyday archery. So we just didn't want to slap anything together and put out some garbage out there. I know there's a lot of filler content that people try to put out just to keep it going. I'm not into that sort of thing. So basically, we're back. Uh, we have a video series that's coming out. We actually launched a YouTube channel. I'll be posting that link on the website in a few days. Right now, I've got to get it up to 100 subscribers, and I've got like 50 or something like that. Once I get my 100 subscribers, we'll have the what they call the vanity URL, so it's easier for you guys to find it. But I might just post a link to the existing one right now that you can click on if you want to subscribe to it. Then it'll just update on its own. Anyway, we have our learning series, which was done, and our video series, which was started to get done. And all that got lost in missing hard drives and stuff like that, and in uploads that for some reason our provider lost. But enough of that. We're going to go ahead and reconstruct those, so that's not a problem. Today's podcast is all about, is really geared to those people who have not had the opportunity to be shooting of late, mostly because of this COVID thing. You know, with the COVID lockdown, everybody was kind of stopped. They couldn't go out there and shoot. You know, it happened during a bad time of the year. It's going on for over a year, this whole thing already. Now people are just starting to come out of the weeds and say, hey, maybe I can actually get out to the range. Work is coming down a little bit. You know, we want to get out there and start doing our things again. Now, it's also... Two different, t- two different time periods are kind of coinciding. One is all the hunters are getting ready for the oncoming seasons, which are going to start to happen in late August, early September, and October. So basically we tell people, you know, you should be shooting all year, but some people don't get a chance to do that. So you do have people who start shooting in April, May, which is good. It's a couple of months in advance. But there are some people out there, and I've been running into them lately, who haven't had a chance to pick up a bow in over a year. And when I look at their bows, I see a lot of common problems. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about both for the hunter and for the target shooter, things to look at on your bow. And we've covered this in past episodes, but it's kind of like a short brush up uh, episode for this for you guys. We're going to cover things that you should look at because sometimes you're going to get out there on the range. You're going to find that nothing's shooting the way it was. Um, You can't hit your mark. You think you're going crazy like, listen, this bow was perfect, you know, last October, right after hunting season, and now all of a sudden I can't hit the side of a barn. And it's not always you, though a lot of it has to do with the shooter, but it's not always you. Sometimes it's the equipment. So we're going to go down a short list of what to do and what to look for. Now, this will apply to target shooters. This will apply to hunters. This will also apply to traditional shooters, you know, recurve shooters, longbow shooters. doesn't make a difference. And how does one thing apply to them all? Very simple. In order for you to do the same exact thing, to be repeatable, 
everything has to remain the same. 80% has to do with the shooter themselves. The shooter is the, the operator of the machine. The bow is just a machine. So a machine in and of itself, if you operate it exactly the same way each and every time, will not give you an issue. However, if you have variations in the way you're shooting, your form, that will affect it. But now we're going to talk about that 20% of the equation, which is the actual equipment. There are times, especially after a long period of inactivity, exposure to heat, you name it, that a bow will, for lack of a better word, just fall out of tune. Some people don't even understand what tune means. And not to get too technical with this, because this podcast is really geared towards everyone, whether you're a new shooter or someone who's been doing this for 25 years. When a bow is in tune, it just means that everything is set right for that shooter and that you know that it's not shooting crazy off to the left, not shooting crazy off to the right, the knock is not too high, it's not too low, center shot is correct. All that comes into play to make a tuned machine because remember, the bow is just a machine. So we have a certain checklist that we can go through. Now, when people bring me a bow in to take a look at it, especially if they're saying it's become possessed all of a sudden, it's not doing what they want, well, guess what? There's not a demon in your bow. There's nothing really wrong with it except for the fact that certain things may have occurred during its rest period, if you will, when it's not in use that may have led to the problems that you're having. So the first thing that I do is I say, well, let me see you shoot a couple hours because I want to eliminate the shooters being a part of it. And not for nothing, if you haven't shot for a while, your anchor, anchor position could be wrong. The way that you hold the bow, your grip could be wrong, all those little things. But then I have people who say, no, everything's fine, and I see them shoot. There's nothing wrong with their form, but the bow is not shooting where their mark should be. Typically, I see this with guys who have set their multi-pin sights or, say, a slider sight, which is very common in hunting these days. Um, even the target shooters, if they're they're shooting like an axle sight and it's got marks on it and they can shoot out to 50, 70 meters, and all of a sudden... They're not coming close to hitting that. There are reasons for it. So one of the, we're going to go down the list and go through a couple of things that you can look at. So for compound shooters, we're going to start with them first. With a compound, there's a couple of things that you should always check. And I mentioned this in previous episodes, but if you want to make a list, I'll actually post a list on this on the website whenever I get a chance to do it sometime this week or something like that. Because the new website was supposed to launch and that got canned. Uh, the same way with no time, but that's in the works. But I will post it on, on the current website as far as a checklist to go through for compound. The first thing you're going to look at is before you put away your bow for the season, if you're going to put away for the season, you know, some people can shoot all year round if you have access to indoor activities during the winter time, that sort of thing. But whatever it is, when your bow is shooting the best, you should make a note of a couple of things. One, measure the axle to axle length. Now, the manufacturer provides specs on what axle-to-axle, the brace height, and I'll explain all these in a second, the brace height, the axle-to-axle length should be for your particular bow. If you can't find it, you can look up a PSE tune chart, you can look up a Hoyt tune chart, a Matthews tune chart. They all have that support available on their websites. Go there, look at what the tune chart says for your particular bow. So, if I have a bow and say it's a 34-inch axle-to-axle, uh, ATA setting, according to what the manufacturer says. I'll measure my bow by putting a measuring tape 
from one axle pin to the other to see what that comes out. Now, that is the starting point, but when your bow is fully tuned, it might not measure that exactly. This is why I make this a very, very critical point. When your bow is tuned for you, sometimes the tech or whoever's adjusting it, or you if you're adjusting it, may have to let out the cables a little bit. You may have to twist the string a little bit, and that can all affect the axle-to-axle length. So when your bow is shooting tuned perfectly, you should really measure that and note it down. In general, though, it should match what the manufacturer's spec is. So if I have a 34-inch axle-to-axle bow and I look at it and I'm at 34 and a quarter, 34 and an eighth, or 33 and three quarters, it doesn't sound like a, like very much, but a 16th or an eighth of an inch, depending on the bow, the cam system, what the limbs are like, can have a big, big impact on your shot as far as the impact point where the arrow is going to land. So I'll give you an example. If the axle-to-axle length is too short, say it's a 34 and you got it down to 33 and three quarters, the immediate impact you're going to see from that is the limbs are going to generate a lot more weight on them. Sometimes not much, sometimes a lot. So say if it's a 70-pound bow, which is designed to be about 70 or 71 at spec length, you might have a bow that's now drawing 73, 74. Now, before you guys out there who are trying to get every ounce of power out of your bow, start twisting your cables to make that happen, the only thing I will tell you is don't do that. The manufacturer's spec is there for a reason. You can deviate slightly, but I got guys who say, well, I'll twist it up half an inch. I'll get myself another five or six pounds. Yeah, but the limbs aren't designed for that, and eventually they will blow or something will happen, and it's, gonna, it's not a spec for a reason. So if you go out of spec purposely like that, trying to crank out more power, you could damage your bow or even hurt yourself if something goes wrong during the shot. So you try to keep it in spec or slightly out of it if that's where it was when you were perfectly tuned. So you measure that. If it's not there, then also if it's too long, okay, here's the other thing. Let's just say that it's 34 axle to axle. I measure it and I got 34 and 3 eighths, 34 and a half. That means that your cables have elongated or that your string has elongated. Elongating is not stretching. I keep on hearing this term, cables stretched, string stretched. The proper term is elongated because once they elongate, they don't come back. It's not an elasticity thing that you have with strings. The materials that are used these days do not stretch and then come back. So if it's elongated, then the only way to fix that is to twist the cables to bring it back into spec or if the cables are at the right length, maybe twist the string. But most of the time, it's corrected by twisting the cables. So that's the first thing you should look at. What is your bow in spec as far as the axle-to-axle length? Because if your bow is shooting high or low, that's usually a pretty good indicator of what's doing it. The second thing to check, if the brace height is off, if the axle-to-axle length is off, the brace height is also going to be off too. Brace height, what is that? That's the different the distance from the inside of the grip where the deepest part of the of the grip to the string now manufacturers list that for a reason because when the geometry of the bow is is set to spec they measure that say okay the bow sitting at our specs right now should have this distance here and it's a telltale sign of whether or not the string got too long the cables elongated anything like that so if i see a bow where the say the brace height is seven inches at spec but all of a sudden 
I look at the brace height, and the brace height's like six and three quarters or six and a half. More than likely, your cables are stretching. So if I measure out the axle to axle, it's off too. And that's what's going to happen. And that all affects performance. It affects the, the draw curve, how the bow is going to perform. On a bow where it's not exactly, not all bows are symmetrical as far as how much you know bow is on the top of your hand as opposed to how much bow is on the bottom of your hand. So imagine that being thrown off slightly. Your bow will do all kinds of crazy stuff. It'll make the top cam work harder or the bottom cam work harder, depending on what it is. If the brace height got too short, got too long, that sort of thing, it'll make the bow sloppy. So these are all things you can look at. But let's assume now, because we're going through through the list. All right, I checked this. This is fine. I checked this. This is fine. Or it matched what I had before I put my bow away. Now we're going to talk about other things you should look at on a compound. And one of the things you should look at is, where is your knocking point? So let's just say I'm shooting really, really high. And again, I'm doing this without paper tuning or anything like that. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, my bow is shooting crazy high. Don't know what's going on. Well, is your rest loose? Some rests that have micro-adjustment or don't have micro-adjustment on them can become jarred loose. If they do, sometimes they'll slide up, they'll slide down. If it's adjustable in that way, that's why a lot of people love the whisker biscuit because they never had these problems, but they can move a little bit too because the way that they're mounted, they could slide a little bit. So you check the rest. The rest is tight, no problems. Okay, if the rest is correct, now you got to check your knocking point. So the best thing I tell people to do, and it's a simple trick. It'll probably anger some bow techs or something like that out there, and I don't mean the brand. I'm talking about guys who work on bows. Um, by telling you how to do it like this, but not everyone has a arrow level and you know a string level out there. Fact of life. You may be in the you know in a cabin upstate. You don't have this, but you might have a straight level, a level that you use to work on doors and stuff like that. So normally in the shop, we put a string level on there, we put an arrow level on there, we put it in a device, and we look at it to see if the arrow's level through there, because if it's not and the arrow is is off and pointing down a little bit, then that's going to make your shots low. If it's pointing up, then it's going to make your shots high. And again, we're looking at the rest, and we're looking, making sure the rest is in the right place. But in the absence of having those tools or a vice or anything, if you take your bowstring and you hold the level to it and then look at your arrow as it sits in the rest, if someone's got a little torpedo level, something like that, they can actually put it on the arrow for you. And as long as the string is level, look at it, and then you can see if it's canted up or canted down. You can see something's wrong there. Then you have the option of either getting it to the shop and let them look at it, or you can try to fix it yourself. Now, one of the videos I'm putting together is how to tie your knock on the knock loops and as far as knocking points, in your, your D-loop, I'll have a video on how to tie all those. John Dudley has great ones on how to do it because he's got real up and close, you know, high budget showing everything on the video. I'm just going to do a simple video for it. But if you've worked on your bow before and all of a sudden you see that where it's off, 90% of the time I'm going to say that your rest either moved a little bit or something's up because it's really, really hard for your knocking points to be the culprit. But if you know, for example, if I hold everything level, and I know that my knocking po- my arrow's pointing up. That means my knocking point moved down. Now, in some cases, and keep this in the back of your head, if you had the center serving replaced and they wound it the wrong way, that center serving can walk. What do I mean by walk? It'll slide up and down the string just from shot after shot after shot. And although the knocking points didn't move, the entire assembly moved. So that thing moved as one big system, 
and now it's low. Or it moved the other way, and now it's high. So you can fix that on your own. A shop is better off doing it for you, but you can fix it on your own by just untying your knocking points. Remember, I don't preach metal knocking points for any reason. I don't trust them. They tend to cut people. I work with a lot of kids. I've seen their lips cut open by those things. I freak out whenever I see it on a new kid that comes to me, so I rip it off the bow immediately and tie on a soft knocking point on there. It's just a safety thing for me. But you can untie your knocking points. You can cut off your loop, put a new D-loop on there. That's why you should always have knocking thread with you, always have some D-loop material with you, because you never know when this is going to come up, especially if you go out to camp or something like that, and you don't have access to a bow shop anywhere near you. Our goal is to show you how to do this on your own, so in a pinch, you can do it on your own. And then all you're going to do is move that arrow to its level and go ahead and tie your new knocking points on there, giving you a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, of distance in between. And what do I mean by distance? While we're on the subject of knocking points, you should be checking your bow because maybe where you had your knocking points done, or maybe if they didn't put knocking points at all on there, your loop or the knocking points are too tight around your knock. And what that causes is knock pinch. Knock pinch will make arrows fly funny, especially with the shorter axle-to-axle bows. Back in 2017, 2018, the craze was to have short axle-to-axle bows. And that was so people in a tree stand or in a blind don't have to worry about clearance or anything like that. I never bought into all that hysteria, but not for nothing. Some people like the convenience of having a short bow. And if that's your thing, more power to you. However, there are some problems that come with those bows. And one of those problems is going to be because of the short axle-to-axle length on a bow, like a 28-inch bow, they have an extreme angle when you draw back. So that angle of the string is extremely sharp. What that tends to do is, if you have too much knock pinch, meaning that your D-loop is too tight or the knocking points are too tight around where the arrow goes, and again, you really notice it too much when, when the arrow's at rest, as you draw it back, they squeeze it out. And when they squeeze it out, you can see it lift off your, off your rest if you take the point off and draw it back. You'll see it completely lift off the rest. That means you have arrow, you have knock pinch, and you need to correct that. The reason why you need to correct it right away is because if you have knock pinch and you fire off a shot like that and she's halfway off the string, it's essentially the same thing as dry firing a bow. And a lot of times I'll hear a bang on the range and nothing happens to the bow and I'll look at the bow and I'm like, dude, your knocking point is so tight on this bow with that severe angle, you can basically dry fire and the next time it might not be great what happens. So we need to give it a little bit of space. And now I'm not talking about it shouldn't be like a violin you could play in between there, but it's got to be a little bit of space in between, maybe a millimeter on either side of it that lets it get that extra angle space so that it stays seated in there properly before the shot goes off. Same thing applies to 34-inch bows, 35-inch bows. You don't need as much, but you need a little. And then that's also something you should always be checking to make sure that that knocking point hasn't moved. And if you buy an inexpensive T-square, it'll always help you to just stick it on there, look, and say, okay, it was marked here before. Now my, my center of my knocking point moved. Identify your problem. If you get better at this, you'll know to look for these things. Now, the other thing to look for, we've discussed knocking point, the arrow being level or not, a couple of different things like that. You looked at your rest. 
what else could be could, should we look at on this boat to see if it's drawing off? Well, if you're going to get thrown off on your shots, many things can contribute besides a shooter, like I said. The other thing that can happen is your timing. Remember we mentioned elongation of the cables or the string. Your timing of the bow could get completely thrown off too. And what do I mean by that? Meaning that if you have uh, a two-cam bow, both the cams have to hit at the same time. Well, if they don't hit the same time, that means that one set of limbs is working more than the other, which can throw the arrow point, the arrow up from the rear or down from the rear, depending on when you're shooting. So that's more common to happen, a bow coming at a time, because one of the cables stretch. You know, in a perfect world, both the cables would stretch equally, you know, to elongate equally, but they don't always do that. And again, it has to do with the symmetry of the bow, how it's designed, that sort of thing. So the best way to test this, it's very simple. One, as a shooter, if you don't have anyone helping you, when you draw back and come to the wall, if you feel like you could pull back a little bit more and then it finally stops then chances are your timing's off. If you have someone assisting you, pull all the way back as you draw. Let them watch you from the side, not the front. Let them watch you from the opposite side where your stops or your limb stops are. If the cable stops at a limb stop, let them look at that. And just before you get to the wall, let them keep an eye on both top and bottom and see if you hit at the same time. It's a rudimentary way of doing it. But it does work, and sometimes it's very obvious when something's off. If you see that that's the case, then it needs to be put into a bow press. If you don't have one, you need to go to a shop and let them do it. And you need to have the cables twisted to time the bow back. Once the bow's in time, when you pull back, not only will you have a more solid wall, doesn't always happen depending on the model or whatever, but you won't have that wall and a little bit more give to it. So that's where it, what you're trying to avoid. Also, the arrow flight will be better and more stable at that point. Lastly, the other thing you check as a compound user is to make sure that your sight is tight, that your sight has not moved. Some sights, inexpensive sights, they're not the greatest when it comes to holding it on in place. Sometimes they can slide out a little bit. But if you see that your shots are all high, everything else is copacetic, as it would seem, then it might have been that just your your rail that holds that sight in place may have slipped a little. Adjust the whole thing. If you find out that you adjusted and your gaps are the same and everything's fine, then it's a minor problem to fix. <laughs> However, if the sight is loose and all that, you kind of want to tighten it down and assuming the bow is, is shooting properly, you may have to reset your marks. Doesn't always happen like that, but it can happen. And the reason why I mentioned setting all your, you know, getting all the, the information, your axle to axle length, your brace height, and all that when the bow is all set up to go, is that if you have a multi pin slider or something like that, and all of a sudden nothing's working right, put the bow back to the specs you had it when it was properly tuned. 90% of the time, your slider sight and all that will return to working normally with your gaps all being the same with little or no changes necessary. Sometimes like on an HHA or something else like that, you might have to move the wheel a tinge just a little bit to to make it go back to where it was. But for the most part, it's going to be fine. If, however, your axle to axle has changed, <coughs> and like I said, that affects your draw weight, 
in the performance of the bow, then more than likely the gaps on that tape are not going to match. So I tell people the first time you shoot a, a slider sight bow, shoot it at 20, shoot it at 30 with your marks. Don't go shooting 20 and then go shoot 80. Because if you're even good enough to shoot 80, and a lot of people are these days, and that's a great thing, but if you're even good enough to shoot 80 but your gaps are off, well, imagine if I'm off by three inches here, I'm off by four inches there, I could be off by a foot when I get out there. So I would rather let them take the time, an extra couple of minutes, shoot 20, shoot 30, shoot 40, shoot 50, 60, and then make sure that their marks are still on. Don't just take it out of there and see, hey, I'm, I'm like going to sky one and lose an arrow over it. Also, good thing, especially with slider sights, they're the greatest invention in the world, gives you a lot more distance you can shoot. However, people often forget that they are left on the last setting they were shooting. So maybe he was shooting at 50, and he forgot to move it back to 20, and sky's an arrow over the target. It's not the bow, it's you. You forgot to move it back. But I digress. So that's what you should look at for a compound. Very basic stuff. Everything else being equal, then it's all on you as far as what you're doing. On a recurve, traditional recurve, a long bow, basically there's really only one thing you got to look at. If your bow is not shooting right all of a sudden, remember, two things you have to do with this. And I'll go back to the compound for one second. If you're going to put your bow away for a long time, take one turn off the limbs. It kind of relaxes them a little bit. Just take one turn off the bolts, unless you're all the way down to begin with. You know, roll them all the way back, then it may not be safe. But if you're if you're not turned all the way down, if the limbs aren't bottomed out, just take one turn out before you put it away for a while. It'll take some stress off the limbs and let them store better. Um, in the case of recurve, your recurve and your longbows are taken apart when you're not shooting, or they should be. You should never leave them strung up because they will actually weaken the limbs, and that's not a good thing. Um, but each recurve or longbow has a builder spec as far as brace height. Remember that distance between the inside of the handle and the string. If you find that your recurve is not shooting normally, the first thing I tell people to look at is what's that brace height. On my recurve that I have, I have a few of them. I have a Sage. I have my Big Jim's Big Horn. I have one of those. The spec from Big Jim, in in that case, is very, very specific. It has to be seven and three quarters to eight inches. If it's not that, then it's not going to shoot right. So before I shoot every day on that bow, I measure my brace height. Very easy fix. Let's just say that your brace height is not where it was. It's too long. So the brace height now, it well, let's start with too short first. Let's just say my brace height is supposed to be seven inches on this bow, and the brace height all of a sudden has gone down to six and three quarter. Well, that means the string is stretched. Traditional strings stretch. String material elongates, not stretch. Even I use the wrong term sometimes. So it's not the end of the world. All I got to do is add a couple of twists, to the string in the same direction, and I always add them from the bottom part of the string. Put it back on, measure again. You'll see, hey, all of a sudden I've got my seven inches, I've got my eight inches back, whatever it's supposed to be. If it's too short, which is rare that that happens, then I just take off twists. With recurve and longbow, for the most part, you're concerned with it being too long, so I just add twists to get it back where it is. Some people say, well, you probably should only have to do that once or twice here and there. I'm like, I find myself adding twists depending on the weather. You know, if it's really, really hot outside, hot and humid, I might have to add three or four twists to my to my string. Even though I left it perfectly set, 
you know, if you if you don't know how to tie a recurve string so it doesn't untwist on you, uh, best thing you can do is when you take it off the bow, get yourself one of these little uh, carabiners and stick it on there, one loop, second loop. It stops it from untwisting, and then you just put it back on. But I find myself, depending on the weather, I'll add three or four twists here or there, you know, occasionally, maybe every couple weeks, maybe once or twice. I've had times where I've had to add twists two or three times in a row going down to the range. This has to do with the life cycle of the material that's used for the string and the weather conditions. And once I get it back in, I'm back shooting where I should be. So for recurvers and longbows, that's what you want to look at. So basically, these are a couple things we've gone over. Like I said, I wasn't going to go into too much detail. We've been over these sort of things before that you should look for when you're breaking out your equipment and shooting again, when you're preparing for the hunt, whatever. We'll we'll get in another couple of podcasts specifically geared towards hunters and target shooters. I'll do another podcast with Doug Marholz and we'll go straight into target and what you should be looking for in your target boat because that's a whole other world of stuff you can do. But they're both compounds and they both refer to the same thing as far as the basics are the same. You can tweak things on a on a target bow that you wouldn't necessarily tweak on a on a hunting bow. Mine I treat exactly the same. So depending on how much finesse you want to add to this thing, you can do a lot with them and you can make it as crazy or simple as you want. We'll get into that in another episode. But that'll do it for what to look at on your bow if stuff's just not shooting right. Like I said. 80% is you, but 20% is the bow. Check the bow, look at the different things on there, and see if there's anything wrong. You should always, on a compound, inspect your D-loop to make sure it's not frayed. Inspect your strings, and that goes for compound or recurve or longbow. Inspect your strings, check the loops to make sure they're not fraying, because you want to avoid problems that can happen that might happen when you're actually shooting. We don't want a string or a cable popping on you. Check your arrows. Make sure that you may have had an arrow that got cracked the last time you were shooting, whether it's six months ago or yesterday, make sure that there's, you know, before you start shooting, inspect all your arrows, make sure they're fine. Inspect them after every shot. It's just a safety and practicality thing that you have to follow <coughs> if you want to avoid problems. I like to avoid problems. Um, so that'll do it for that part of the show. We're going to get into our listener questions. Like I said, this is not going to be a long episode. Um, so our first listener question comes from Chad C from Allentown, Pennsylvania. He writes, hi coach, love the podcast. Glad to see you are back. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be back. I've just broken out my hunting rig as I've got, as I've not been able to get out to our range here since it had been closed so long due to COVID lockdown. Took a few shots yesterday and I was grouping, but my shots were nowhere near the center. All seemed to be really low and a few were just not anywhere near where I was aiming. It was all set up fine last season with my marks out to 80, but if it's shooting like this now, do I have to do this whole thing over? And do I have to take it to the shop to have them look at it? It's about 45 minutes away, and they always rush me out of there. So I'm really worried about this now. Thanks for your time as always. Okay. So first I'll just mention that whenever you hear these these listener questions, I kind of like pick them out. I answer all the questions that are sent to me, but I pick out listener questions that are relevant to the subject of the podcast I'm working on. So it's not a quinky dink that I just happened to mention these like this. But in, in Chad's case, and I reply to them all, you know, it's not like I wait for them. These people don't wait for me to answer it on the podcast, but they, I get more in depth on the podcast. But in Chad's case, he's hitting really low. So when I reply to my tell the same thing, check the spec on the bow, axle to axle length, really low. Sounds like either your sight moved 
or your rest dropped a little bit because that'll make the arrow impact lower. Um, could be any one of a number of things. But the idea being that if you check the basics on it, you can find out something's wrong. Now, does he need to take it to the shop? If it's a thing where his axles axles have a spec and you don't have the equipment, and more importantly, even if you do have the equipment, you don't have the expertise and the knowledge and understanding to fix that safely on your own, you take it to a shop. If they're rushing you, then go somewhere else. And I understand sometimes there's not a lot of shops available, but look at it this way. If someone's rushing you out the door and they're not giving you the right amount of time to look at something and they're not investing that time in you to help you, you are paying them, you know, first of all, then find somewhere else. It may be a little longer distance away, but if they're not going to give you the time and don't just sit there and take it, be vocal about it. Be like, hey, if you guys aren't going to, you know, give me the right amount of time to fix this, you know, actually try to help me, I'll go somewhere else before you pay anything. That's important. It's like here, because of work and everything else going on, I've had very limited time to work on customer bows. I don't think I've taken in a, a tenth of the customers that I normally do just because of the way things have been upside down. And the reason I don't do that is I don't take in work that I can't handle. So when I say can't handle, it doesn't mean that I don't know how to do it. It has to do with I don't have the time to dedicate to doing it. And there are people who will wait a long time for me to work on their bow. I tell them, listen, I can take it today, but realistically, I can't get this bow back to you for about a week or two. And they're fine with it. But as long as you set the expectations like this is what it is, then it's not a problem. If these shops did the same thing, say, listen, we can't do it right away, you know, come back for it this day. As long as it's done right, it's not a problem. But if they're rushing you out of the place, that's an issue. If they're going to do the right thing for you and it takes a little bit longer and they tell you that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if they're not going to do the right thing for you, then you've got to be using your noodle up in your head and say, hey, I'm going somewhere else to do this. It's my money. I'm going to get it done the right way. In the long run, it'll help you out because then you won't have any bad experiences. Our next listener question comes from Mark P. from Detroit, Michigan. And he writes, hi, took out my bow. I took my bow out of my car when I was about to shoot, and my peep was all twisted up. My buddy said, said to just shoot it a few times, and it should go back to normal. It's never done this before. And I shot it over 50 times. It's still pointing away from me. He just told me I need to twist it right before shooting. It should be fine. But somehow I can't see that as an answer. I'm still fairly new to this as I've only been shooting for two years, but never seen this before. Any advice on what to do? So the first thing I did when I got this email from Mark is I emailed him back, and I said, look at your string real good. Do you see any of the fibers look like they're popped or cut? He says, well, what do you mean? One of the, what I mean by that is if you examine your string, especially around the peep area, and you see that any of the multiple strings, so your string is made up of usually 16 to 18 strands, depending on what the manufacturer has for it. If one of those strands is popped, the string has lost consistency and it's unstable, which means it'll twist. So when you pull back or it just sits there, the peep's going to be in the wrong position. The other thing I tell people to look at is look at your D-loop. If your D-loop was put in the wrong position, a D-loop slid, then it might give you an issue also. So sometimes what will happen is if they put your peep in your string and all that and it's twisted a little bit to the right, they'll set the D-loop in place so that when you pull your D-loop back, they'll line it up with the peep. It'll straighten out the peep. Well, guess what? After a amount of time, sometimes that, that D-loop... That's why I don't do it like that. That D-loop will slip. Now all of a sudden it's pulling straight instead of being lined up with the peep and the peep stays where it is. 
but a really bad sign, and that's simple enough to fix with a D-loop, put another one in there that's tight, and it goes back. But it should really be the peep sitting at rest the same place it is when it's at full draw. There's ways to tweak that. But if it's just a slightly off and the D-loop moved or whatever, you can usually move it back or put a new, another D-loop on there that'll help you get it lined back in place. The other thing to look for is, is it sitting in one direction when it's at rest, and then when you pull back, assuming the D-loop's lined up with it, it twists. That's a telltale sign. There's something wrong with the string that maybe it become compromised because a couple strands broke here and there. You should immediately take it to a shop and have that string checked out or replaced. That's what happens with that. When I further delve into this one with Mark, I asked him, I said, "Where was the bow in your trunk? And he said, yeah, I had it in my trunk for a couple of days. I said, when was this? And it happened to be when they had 100-degree days. Basically, you cooked your bow. And I tell people, keep it away from heat. Leaving a bow in a trunk of a car or in a hot car it had the same effect on it that it would have putting inside an oven. You wouldn't leave. You got to treat your bow like it's a puppy. You wouldn't leave your, your puppy inside a 100-degree car. And if you're that kind of person, then see me because I'm going to have some kind words for you. But... You wouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that with your bow either. The extreme heat will adversely affect those cables and strings and make them elongate. When they elongate, they can become unstable. It can actually, if a fiber was weak to begin with, it can actually further compromise the fiber, and when you shoot, it'll pop. Lots of things like that can happen. Now, in this case, it was in his trunk. I had him take it back to the shop, take a look at it, and his strings had stretched. The ATA had stretched. Everything was up. So they they put it back in spec, and they got his peep where it's supposed to be, and he's all fine and dandy. But there's things you have to look at to make sure you don't avoid a bigger, you know, you avoid a bigger problem. So that'll do it for Mark's question. The last question is from Chris M. from San Bernardino, California. He writes, great show. Thank you very much. I've listened to all the episodes and picked up a lot of info. I started shooting a traditional recurve a few years back. Nothing special, just a Samick Sage I, brought on, on, I bought on Amazon. First of all, any bow you buy, no matter what, where you buy it, is a bow, and there's nothing wrong with it. If it's what you can afford or what you want to start out with, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It is what it is, and you make the best out of it. So just saying, you know, it's nothing special, it's your bow. It's special to begin with. But I digress. I've gotten pretty good at hitting the target at 15 to 20 yards. Great. But the other day I went shooting and nothing hit right at all. I also smacked my arm up really bad. Some of the guys there said to switch the compound, but I want to stick with this and just don't understand what's going on. Switching to compound is not the answer if something's going wrong with your bow. You can fix the bow and continue doing what you like. There's no reason to change the entire game. But can you give me any pointers on what I'm doing wrong? Thank you for what you do, and I hope you get back to me soon. As I mentioned previously in how to check a recurve bow, we fixed up his problem in about mm, two minutes. So I told him, I said, did you measure what the brace height is? And I looked up the brace height for that particular SAMIC that he had, and he was off by almost an inch. All that means is that in the time that he had it, whether he took it out of the case wrong or didn't have it secured right, um, <coughs> that string elongated or the twist came out. He hit his arm because with the brace height being too low, the bow reacts differently and actually slapped him. So I said, here, just keep on twisting until you get back to this spec length. And he literally had to add about 15 twists. When he did that, all of a sudden the bow was fine and shooting normal. So I told him, I said, that could be from a lot of different things, but if it's not been on a bow recently because you haven't shot it for a while 
and it needed that many twists, I would probably say safely, be careful shooting it, inspecting it after every shot. Order yourself a new string. They're fairly inexpensive, maybe 20, 25 bucks for a recurve. Get yourself another string. And then measure it out the same way. But now he knows to measure that axle to axle. And as long as he's doing it, well, not axle to axle, sorry, it's a recurve. I should smack myself. There, I'm going to smack myself. Um, <laughs> measuring that brace height. And as long as that brace height is correct, he should have no problems shooting. But again, like I said, those folks told him, oh, just switch to the compound and you won't have these problems. Believe it or not, shooting a recurve, you have a lot less to worry about than you do with a compound. So, yeah, don't listen to that. If you like what you're doing, stick with it. If you ever want to delve into a compound, sure, no problem. Don't let anyone stop you. But that's not the reason to do it just because your bow is not working right now. And the other thing that I told him to check, and I forgot to mention this before, is that with a recurve, make sure your limbs are okay. So before you actually string up the bow, and come into putting on bows, bow strings on a recurve or a longbow, use a stringer, please. Do not do this whole thing of trying to twist it between your legs and all that. All that does two things. One, if you twist it that way, your human body is not exactly straight. It may cause it to bend the limbs in the wrong direction and they start to warp. Uh, the other thing is, if a limb is cracked or something like that and you do the wrapping around the legs and that limb blows while you're putting excessive force on it and it happens to be the part that's in the back of your leg, do you really want that fiberglass or that wood blowing right into the back of your calf or something like that? It's dangerous. Just get yourself a $10 stringer, put it on there. It'll let you slowly and safely pull the bow up and, and, and bend those limbs so you can safely get it on there. That's what I do. I've been shooting a recurve for longer than I care to mention, but to this day, that's the only way I string a bow. It's the way I teach my kids to string bows. I will not let them do it the other way. So check your limbs, inspect them, make sure there's no cracks, make sure there's no flaws, make sure there's no warps in them, and you'll be fine. So that'll do it for our listener questions, and now we come to that one very popular segment of every one of our shows, which is Don't Be That Guy. Now, you know, in the last show, I kind of mentioned some stuff that had gone gone over before on a previous segment. Um, this one, I might get into sort of the same thing with the Don't Be That Guy, but I've run into this so much at the range in the last week that um, I'm going to bring it up again. So, today's Don't Be That Guy is all about what I call range snobs. Now, if you don't know what a range snob is, they come in all shapes and sizes, colors, mixes, you, you name it. They They're all basically... It's a variety of snob. Yes, I'm using this funny accent. Whatever. Um, simply put, they're just those people who think they're too good to be bothered with new shooters or anyone else for that matter. They, they, they're like, oh, stay away from me. You know, I don't want to see your, your nonsense. If someone's brand new and at the range, sometimes they'll go up to them and be like, hey, do, do you know what this is or whatever? It is? I get that a hundred times. People don't know me from Adam when they show up at the range. If they've never shot before, I'll go out of my way to help them. You don't have to play coach or anything like that. But if someone comes up to you and asks you a question like, hey, do you happen to know what this is? Or do you know how I adjust this site or something like that? If you actually know it, what does it cost you in your life to actually help these people? 
Seriously, if you're going to be so stuck up and have your head so far up your ass that you don't want to help anyone over there, for real, then get lost. Go somewhere else because I see too much of this every single time. I'm getting wound up. I'm trying not to, but this is not easy for me. Anyway, these people exist and they're out there. They think that they're also special because I'm shooting a bow for Walmart or or this guy shooting a, a bow that he bought on Amazon, or whatever it is. It's not a name brand. It's not their $1,500 bow that they shoot, and they think they're below them. This class thing and this whole I'm better than you are and all that is nonsense. Yet these range snobs exist every single place I go. They exist at the range I belong to in New Jersey. They exist over here at our public range. They exist at every single tournament I go to. They're everywhere. It's like a cancer that grows on people. And seriously, once you get one range snob, his buddies more than likely are just like him. And I keep telling people, the only way to keep this sport going, or any sport or thing that you like in the first place, is to make sure that you get more people involved. Well, guess what? If you have that kind of attitude, you're going to repel people. If I get a new person showing up at the range, it should be my business to try to help them. If they ask for my help, I will give it. If they don't ask for my help, I'll stay quiet, no problem. But if I see something doing, see, see them doing something obviously wrong, I'll go in like, "Hey, do you need help with this?" You know, because because I saw something that's like a a little bit out of whack. Maybe I can help you with it. And if they say no, then like politely say, "Okay, yeah, no problem." But ninety percent of the time, they're like, "Oh, really?" And then we get into how to help. It's about helping each other. And flat out, it's just about being nice. But these rain stops. For the life of me, I don't get them. And there are so many of them that it makes me sick. Now, I'm not always the nicest person when I run into one of these people. Because if I know they keep doing it, like, well, you know, they, you know, they, they, I spent so much money on this bow that, you know, I come here to just do my thing and I don't really feel that I should have unskilled people around me and stuff like that. You shouldn't have unskilled people around you. Okay, Buster. Go open up your own range, and you can have no one unskilled around you except for the one unskilled person who's there in the middle of the range, which is you. Because you're unskilled at human relations. Seriously. So all I'm going to ask is, if you're that kind of snobby person, or you just don't want to be bothered by anybody else, there's no problem with that. Do your own thing. But what I will say is that if someone comes up to you and asks you a simple question, have the simple decency to give them an answer, or try to point them in... Point them towards someone who knows what they're doing if you're not qualified to give them the answer. It's not that much to ask. A little kindness goes a long way. You never know who you're talking to or who you're helping. Because if you piss off the wrong person, okay, you could be dooming an entire bunch of people to never get involved with the sport. And guess what? In the case of a public range like we have over here, if you piss off that many people who don't want to come back, Fewer and fewer people are going to be using that range. And you know what happens in a city where resources are not used? They reallocate it to something else. All of a sudden, your archery range becomes a dog walking field or some other nonsense like that. So if you don't want that to happen, have a little common courtesy and decency to other people. And that's going to end my rant on these. So yeah, I can just wind down from that. But seriously, people, if you if you... If someone asks you something, just try to help them out. And if you don't know yourself, then point them to somebody who does. Or if nobody's there who knows how to fix that, then have them send me an email. I don't care where you are. I answer emails from around the world. 
and I always answer them right away unless there's some major crisis going on in my life. I will answer them to the best of my ability right away. So there's always an outlet to get people help, but there's no need to be a snob like that. And that'll do it for the Don't Be That Guy segment. Anyway, so it's been... uh, been this rather short podcast compared to our marathons we sometimes have. Um, we'll be putting out a few more uh, in the next week, and we'll have some more guests on there, and we'll be getting back to our learning series and all that and start putting on the YouTube channel to see how that grows. So uh, that'll do it for this one. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at highpowerarchery.com. You can go there. You can fill out our form, or you can send an email to... Um, highpowerarchery at gmail.com and we'll always answer it as always uh you can find us on instagram on facebook and again if you have a question we're here to help there's no one to this day that i think that i've ever said no i'm not interested in helping you no matter how wild the question is we try to get you an answer in one way or the other so until the next time we meet like we say it's never goodbye it's just until we see you again uh that'll do it all that'll do it and uh stay safe And shoot straight.